13 years in the making, and I don't mean 11 years shopping the script around and two years of production. This no-budget film was 13 years in production. Writer and director Nathaniel Sims is with us to talk about his apocalyptic movie, The Book of Wendy. Welcome to the Ministry of Motion Pictures podcast, where only the foolhardy and headstrong dare to venture. For within these humble halls, you may find your heart stirred to join the ranks of a Christian film movement to storm the world with God-glorifying media. But be forewarned, this undertaking will lead you down a perilous road of hardship and scorn. And so, if you're committed to pursue this life of woe, brave soul, I now leave you to your resolute guide, writer and director, Todd Schaefer. The Book of Wendy tells the story of a future apocalypse where citizens are required to have a chip implanted in order to function in society. The people who refuse the chip are generally Christians, and they're being hunted down, arrested, and killed for their non-compliance. Now, this isn't told like an espionage film or an action flick. It has the tone of a good old-fashioned horror film, and it's told from a very human perspective. It's about a guy named Dan Nelson who's caring for his ailing mother at a large secluded ranch. Dan's mother, Shirley Nelson, is a stand-up citizen, a Christian, but she's harboring Christians who have refused the chip. Dan's not a Christian, and he's not happy that his mother is doing this. The Christians hiding there are concerned that Dan will rat them out, but they're also concerned for his soul. Dan believes what the authorities are doing is wrong, but if his mother's found out by the suspicious sheriff, she could be arrested and executed. That's the premise of the Book of Wendy. The story of making this movie and the persistent drive of the filmmaker behind it is remarkable. I was introduced to Nathaniel when he was struggling in the final days of finishing the film. He asked me to look at it and give him my thoughts. The Book of Wendy is no doubt rough around the edges. It was shot on a consumer camcorder and it used in-camera audio. My family sat down to watch it and to be honest, we didn't expect much. But the story and the characters drew us in. It was refreshing. There was no cheesy ham-handed drama. The story unfolded in unexpected ways. In some ways it had the tone of the Blair Witch Project without the horror but with some of the suspense. And what's remarkable is that when it finished, we didn't realize that the time had passed. This film didn't have the typical moments that eject me in so many other Christian films. Now, it is a grassroots film, and that's what I love about it. And there are some really wonderful moments in it. I encouraged Nate to submit it to some Christian film festivals, but unfortunately it was rejected. And I suspect the reason it was rejected was for its camcorder production quality. But as a work of film, it was a better film than the others that had made the cut at the festival. And though they had larger budgets and better equipment, they didn't have better storytellers. And that's why I'm excited to have Nathaniel Sims as my guest today. This is episode 55. Nate, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Todd, for having me on your show. It's an honor. It's, it's been a long road, uh, you and me, on this uh, podcast adventure, and you've even had a longer road on your film. It's taken you 10 years to make this film and get it completed. It was a refreshing film to watch and enjoyable, and even though it was old technology and had some technical issues, my, my entire family sat down and watched that film from start to finish, and at the end, we're like, hey really? That was an hour and a half. So we got lost in the story enough to lose track of time. So, <clears throat> you know, I, I really respected uh, your film and uh, I wanted to find out more about the story behind this film and what you were planning on doing uh, with it. But I'd like for you just to sort of give a synopsis of your story. It's many things. It's things that I <laughs> yeah. intended it to be and things that people actually get out of it. So See, people have always asked, is this your is this your view of the end times? Do you think this is going to happen? Or they come at, you know, they'll after a feedback screen or something, people will be looking at me kind of cockeyed and cautiously and like, well, you know, the Bible says that, you know, quoting some scriptures, oh, this is my like hard stance on the end time. I go, no, 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 this is just a, a thought experiment. It's yeah, 
um, what if persecute, what if, what if, you know, the West had to face the kind of thing that uh, people are experiencing all in other parts of the world and how might that come about? You know, it's just sort of a, don't, don't take, don't take your freedoms for granted sort of yeah. uh, story. And then also with peppering in that a bunch of other questions, comments, and concerns uh, that general Christians might have about how to apply the Bible to their daily life, you know, as the different characters are sort of navigating it. So, yeah, uh, no, that's good. That's a, that's a, that's a really good summary because the funny thing is during, during this whole COVID pandemic with the, the mandates and, and lockdowns, and we had it a little bit worse here in Canada than, than you guys in the U S depending right. upon your state. Uh, I often thought um, book of Wendy really was, was, was spot on on some of this stuff. I could see it transpiring and coming to that. <laughs> so yeah, I think it, was, uh, it made me a little nervous too. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> he steps out. Um, if you could just give us a little bit of the motivation behind this story. How did you come up with this story? What, what was your intention uh, in making it? Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, first of all, it took a little longer than 10 years. We can uh, get back to that. But also, I didn't know your whole family watched it, Todd. That's that's awesome and uh, very honoring. Makes me sit up a little straighter. Um, so uh, when I was 11 or so, my cousin showed me a short film uh, that they had made with the family camcorder of some action figures. And there was a, you know, violence and catch up blood and hands, you know, moving the figurines around. But it was like, holy cow, it blew my mind. You could play with play with action figures and record and then watch it later. It was amazing. So ever so from that moment on, I uh made action figure movies as often as possible. And when we'd all get together, we'd make action figure movies. Well, our family would get together very frequently, all the cousins and aunts, uncles, everyone, big family, uh, would have family parties for every occasion. So we we're always together and always bored. And we always had different props and costumes um, laying around because we'd done a lot of plays when we were, you know, family skits. Anyway, so we started family parties going to the dress-up bin and just finding what costumes we could piece together and who was there who was interested in making something. We just goof around and make some little short films and then, you know, bother everyone to sit around and watch these little short movies we were making. I'd always uh, thought I would do film as a career. And I didn't want to work in Hollywood. I'm very introverted and uh, didn't know how I would, <clears throat> excuse me, do on a, like an actual set. Mm -hmm. I thought, well, we've got a good thing going on here with these low budget things. I'll kind of grow into it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so all of our projects, all of the years had kind of screeched to a halt as uh, people were getting married and stuff. So there was a moment where I cried out to God and said, I don't want to do like a regular job as a paraphrase. I don't want to do just a regular job. I just want to make movies. Mm -hmm. right, so I expressed that in a moment of utter aggravation. And literally later that evening, I was invited to uh, a weekend service a couple of days later at a church kind of out of town. And normally I, I would not have been able to uh, spare that gas money on my gas guzzling van but one of our film buddies was working on a production uh, and they had borrowed my van and rented me an economical car and this maybe doesn't matter for your podcast but it's like I looked at all the steps that came together to make this movie even happen so I get stuck on that yeah hung good. up on some of the blessings at some point. no that's so, all anyway. good stuff uh, all that okay. stuff is important okay good good so yeah so they had this larger production had borrowed my van and rented me a car for a month. So I had this economical vehicle and I said, okay, I'll go to this, um, this weekend service at this other church. I'd been invited several times before and couldn't do it for various reasons. So I said, okay, I'll go this weekend. So I went to this evening service with, um, three, three people. And we sat in the front row, got there early, sat in the front row. And, uh, I had been trying to sort of not really trying to, it just sort of happened through various circumstances, but I'd picked up my Bible for the first time uh, in years and been reading through it. Like, okay, I've grown up in church. 
my dad was an assistant pastor when I was a kid, and I always sort of knew the basics, but I never had just picked it up and studied it for myself and then went and tried to apply things to my own life. And so I've been doing more of that. And so I was like, I'm going to go to this church, sat in the front row. I'm open to what, uh, what I'm going to learn here. And the pastor gets up after worship and says, before I start the sermon, you know, I want to introduce everybody to someone I met at, I think it was his kid's soccer game or something. And he said, I want to introduce everyone to some, uh, this is Rich Cristiano. Rich, come on up. And uh, Rich Cristiano is a film producer and director, and uh, we're going to be seeing more of him. Okay, thanks, Rich. All right, on with the sermon. Only way when Rich goes up there, the three people I was with, they all turn and look at me like simultaneously what christian film I'm like, that's cool i never heard of such a thing so rich screened uh, a couple weeks later screened time changer at the church and then a week after that he, he uh, said anyone anyone who's interested in christian filmmaking show up and we'll do a q a and kind of talk about it and so hundreds of people show up as a pretty good sized church anyway um sautorium's full of people and rich is talking about the need for more christian films and his company uh, distributes Christian films and gives you a better better cut of the profits than any Hollywood distributor and on and on about Christian films the importance and so people start raising their hand during the Q&A segment say Rich I I design costume I do clothing you know, I'd like to design costumes how can I get involved in the Christian film industry and Rich says well there isn't really a Christian film industry and uh, the projects are few and far between so good luck another person raises their hand I, I'd like to, uh, you know, I write scripts. I'd, how do I, uh, who do I send my Christian script to? And he says, well, there's not really a place to send him. So good luck. Someone else I want to act in Christian film. Well, good luck. Good luck. He's just telling it. And you're like, wait a minute. What, what was the point of this meeting? So yeah. I'm looking around and I'd always done things totally bare bones with my family and friends. And I'm thinking, man, you got all these people here who are interested in doing this. This church mm -hmm. could make something, right? And uh, so I raised my hand and said, couldn't these, couldn't these people make a film? And Rich says, well, yeah, you could start a club at this church and uh, I could come and give you some feedback. And stuff. So, okay, great. And then he continued on. And then at the end, they passed out these little note cards to everyone and they wrote what, what kind of talents they had, what kind of positions in film they'd be interested in and contact info. And so there's hundreds of cards gathering them. Like, okay, this is cool. I don't know anyone at this church. Um, you know, this was like my third time ever being there. And I thought, well, if they're going to do a film club, I want to be involved, but I have to show, I have to show, you know, what I, what I can do, what I can bring to the group. Um, and if these people have never made anything, I want to try and show this club, hey, look, here's what we could do from just scratch. You know, here's what just me and my family and friends did. So I was trying to think, okay, I need a short film, something I can do quick. This was in spring 2008, and so I'm racking my brain, and, and uh, oh, I had overheard one of the pastors saying to someone else um, at this Rich Christiani event, overheard him say, hey, I, I used to really like that film, uh, Thief in the Night, and uh, I'd, always, I'd heard of the, uh, Thief in the Night growing up, and I also thought it was like about a cat burglar or something, I never gave any it just sounded boring to me. It's a Christian project, but a cat burglar, I don't care. Well, anyway, I went home and YouTubed, uh, this is again, this is 2008, YouTubed A Thief in the Night and watched it. It blew my mind. I didn't realize it. I didn't realize a Christian movie could be so cool and action-packed. Mm. And, uh, and so I thought, wow, that, you know, maybe someone needs to remake that at some point. Well, anyway, um, so I was in the back of my head and in, I'm trying to think of something short I could do. Well, I started catching wind of a big family uh, vacation that was coming up, happening in the end of August, 2008. And people say, hey, you want to go? Everyone's going, so-and-so's going. It's a long list of family and friends. And uh seemed like every couple of days, somebody else was signing up to go on this trip. And I said, wait a minute, everyone's going to be up at the ranch for uh, this nine-day trip. and." I bet I could get people to shoot something while we're there. What kind of story would take place at the, mm. at the ranch? And uh, so I had deep in the night in the back of my head and I got the short film. So anyway, you can see how all the pieces came together. Well, at yeah. the beginning of August, August 1st, I had the, the idea. 
kind of crystallized and I started making notes. And so about three weeks later, we were up at the ranch and I was it, leading up to it. I was kind of, kind of floating the idea to people about being in a film and uh, with varying degrees of positive response. And so the people who are more positive, I just gave them a larger role and people are less positive. I really whittled it down anyway. So <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> yeah. I, look, this is, if I have anything, I don't know anything technical. Uh, I don't know about uploading uh, the highest resolutions. I don't know anything about social media or marketing. If I have anything to offer, it's, it's, how to just navigate all the no's and obstacles and stri- strategically just get something on the screen mm-hmm. just so you can uh, have something to show people and then build from there. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I knew, I knew that I'd be able to have everybody willing to be together uh, for a couple hours. And that was about it. So I had to figure out what the group scenes were. And then I had to figure out a strategy for, um, how am I going to shoot the other scenes? So, so there's a lot of, there are a lot of dark scenes where people are sitting around kind of mm-hmm. lit by candles in the fireplace. I had to strategize that ahead of time. Think how can I get everybody to look like they're in a similar location when they're totally not, uh, anywhere near each other. So I said, well, what if the power's out and they're all lit by the same, same candlelight? And so, uh, that was, that was cooked in from the very beginning. Even my character, I was going to have to hold the camera and direct that final final group scene. So I said, "Well, how how can I get my character away from the rest of the group, and why?" And so that's why my character uh, runs off to the side, so then I can uh, get him out of the way and film the rest of the scene without me in it. Um, oh, oh, so back to the story. So we so we go up to the ranch and we start filming. We film those scenes, the beginning scene where everyone's sitting around the table. All right, I got the group shot there. And then that the final scene. And then um, I would get people, you know, off to the side to film portions of scenes. And if you don't see, if you don't see people on the literally in the same frame, then they they weren't there. And it's quite possible the scene was filmed in two chunks a year apart from each other. Uh, anytime I had people, I tried to find a way to get them all on the screen as much as wow. possible. Another another reason the end times esque Christian persecution sort of storyline was interesting to me is when I was six years old, approximately my mom took me to this uh, local church that was doing a um, they built built like a marketplace, just one street of a Bible Times marketplace. Mm-hmm in there in the church parking lot around Easter time. So my mom took me there to check it out. And we're looking at the booths and stalls and everything. And then all of a sudden you hear this guy preaching, you know, Jesus is risen, repent. And so you look and there's a guy preaching, you know, just walking up and down this this little marketplace preaching. Okay. Oh, that's cool. And um, a few moments later you hear some shouting and these two guys dressed as uh, Roman soldiers come running up the street and tell this guy to stop preaching and he won't stop preaching. So they knock him to the ground and beat him up a little bit and then drag him off as he's calling out to everyone, you know, Christ is risen and repent, turn toward God, you know, and I'm like six years old. And so that stuck in my head and, uh, affected, affected my worldview from that time on of realizing that the reality of the Bible stories about people being persecuted. I had that early, early on actual visceral experience. And so I always Mm -hmm. had my antenna up for persecution stories from around the world and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so, so now book of money, as I said earlier, uh, this can be uh, a thinking, a thought experiment for Westerners. That's cool. When did you complete the film? (laughs) So um, a year, a year into production and production was spotty. It was never, there was never, there was never like a full day of shooting. It would be like, um, say we say, say you were my uncle and we were at a family party together. I'm like, Hey, uncle Todd, you got like five minutes to come in the back room. I'm going to cover the window and break out the, the fire flickering light bulb. And I, I got a couple of lines I need you to say for this scene. 
and you'd say, okay, let me know, you know, in a couple hours and you'd enjoy the party. And then you'd be getting ready to leave. And I'd be, Hey, Hey, uh, uncle Todd, did you, you got a minute to do those lines? And you'd be like, you know what? I really got to go. And so I'd be like, Oh shoot. Okay. Well, I've got 10 lines here. I want you to say, but what if you just do these two or three and you'd go, okay, I'll come back and do like two or three lines. And so, um, I slowly pieced it together based on willingness and availability. After a year of this, um, people were saying, hey, look, are you done with this project yet? We want to see it. And, and I had to show, every time I had any, any semblance of a, a cohesive scene that I cut together, I would need to show it to people. We do these old family screenings at various family get-togethers. And then everyone would be like, oh, this is actually looking pretty good. Okay. And then they'd have a little more juice for the next series of um, scenes that I needed them to deliver lines for. Anyway, so after a year of this, people like, you've been working on this for a year, man. Are you done or what? I'm like, uh, I still have a lot I want to do, but I, I guess I can. They're like, we want to we want to see something. You're done. You're done with it, right? It's been a year. So I pieced together a rough assembly and it was, it was very embarrassing, Todd. My family all shows up to this... Uh, rough cut screening just this rough cut just to see where i'm at they all dress up surprise this is your premiere they got some red wrapping paper and put it running up to the front door and everyone shows up dressed up for the premiere of the film and it's not a premiere it's a rough cut there have been some there have been some doubters as you might imagine and you're not you're not going to complete this thing um so anyway there was that and people finally saw oh this is actually you've actually got something here mm. okay well let, let me go back because this is a year later my whole plan for the making a short like 15 minute film to show to the church that film club never materialized and so huh. i just kept as i was making the short film and showing some of the scenes and getting the initial positive feedback um in the in the first couple months after the initial shooting I thought, well, I'll just keep building on this and then see what I have once the film club does materialize. And the film club never materialized. And I just kept adding on to the film. There's another, there's another significant factor. So a significant factor of how I was able to actually film this with Dan being the lead. Uh, Dan's career at the time was truck driver. He was owner operator. And you never knew when he was going to be home. And when he was, he had so many projects around the ranch that he was always working on that had I suggested at the beginning that I was going to make a feature film, I, there, was, there was no reason to think that I could make a feature film because it would have been next to impossible to think that Dan would be available to shoot all those scenes and right. to schedule yeah. that. Well, what happened, uh, we filmed a couple of scenes with him and even in that initial first nine days of filming he ended up leaving in the middle of that to go uh on a truck run he got the call and it was okay tomorrow morning i'm out of here and i scrambled to shoot a couple of little things with him before he left a month or so after the initial shooting i was going to head back up to the ranch with pam who is my aunt and she was on her way to oregon and we were going to stop by the ranch she was going to drop me off there go to oregon for um, something with her job and then come back down to the ranch and we'd come back down to Southern California. Well, a day or two before we were heading up, I get this call that Uncle Dan was going to be there. He was going to be there and we might be able to film. It's like, oh, awesome. I can film an extra scene. So I concocted this scene of Dan and Pam sort of having a deep discussion about why Dan, you know, that scene where they're sitting in the dark kind of telling their Dan and Pam are talking to each other and Pam's giving her story about her daughter and everything. I had a vague idea of that scene if they were willing to do it and a couple of other things that would be ideal to get. Well, anyway, I think it was like 24 hours before we leave, we get this call that Dan was riding a horse and the horse uh, panicked and reared up and flipped backward and landed on Dan's leg and fractured it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So bad for Dan, uh, good for the book of Wendy. And it's, I, I'm, you know that verse, God works all things together for the good. So, so <laughs> I, I go, you know, I mean, that's, it says, it in, it says it right there in the book. So I'm going to just lean on that uh, as, as much as people, I get a little pushback, as you might imagine, when I say, I don't know, God, I would start making this movie and there's no other way I could have filmed with Dan 
and they broke his leg and now the movie was possible. So I, I don't know wow. what to say about that other than that's how it happened. That's and so, brutal. yeah. Take, as out. a filmmaker, you take what you can get uh, that much. I oh, know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So it's a, so if you see Dan walking like more than a couple of frames of movement, you know, where, okay, he is clearly using both legs. Uh, that was filmed in the first nine days. Uh, if you see Dan sitting, <laughs> sitting or standing in place, that was filmed when he has a cast on his leg and that's uh, that oh. part, it was framed out. So anyway, you just do what you can. The doctor said, you know what? This break is nice and clean. You should be, uh, you should be back to work in no time. Okay, so he's going to be back to work in no time. And the thing that Pam, my aunt Pam, was driving to Oregon to do was apply for a nursing job with this company that she had seniority, uh, years of seniority, and should have been able to just basically point to the job she wanted, and it would be hers if it was open, obviously. So that's why she was going to Oregon. Dan broke his leg, and he was going to be off it for you know X amount of short weeks. So Pam went to apply for this job. And for some reason, she didn't get that job. So we come back down to Long Beach. So Dan's stuck at the ranch with a broken leg. And Pam is making repeat trips to Oregon to apply for these nursing jobs that should have been a sure thing and continued to not be given to her. Mm. So I was back to the ranch multiple times with two of my lead actors. And of course, Wendy, who is Dan's wife, um, was always at the ranch. And different family members would be coming and going to the ranch throughout that year. So I was able to film more than I ever could have imagined. And the film club wasn't materializing. And Book of Wendy kept growing. And finally, I did the rough cut screening. Okay. A week before the rough cut screening, a week or two, I had met my wife, Derica. And that's a whole other story that I won't get into now. But it's full of God's provision and miraculous timing and things like that as well. But anyway, so Derica had a friend in Southern California, uh, near near where the rough cut screening was taking place. And she happened to be coming down to visit him at that time. And I said, Oh, well, you want to come and give me some feedback on this? She she was writing a screenplay at the time. And that's how I kind of got to talking to her. Um, so she and her friend Kevin, who ends up playing Josh in those brief uh, flashbacks of Josh, uh, came to the rough cut screening and met my family and saw the movie I was working on. And, and she started helping me write some of the scenes that I still wanted to do and started giving me, um, very direct feedback on some of my editing, which was uncomfortable at first until I started applying her suggestions and realizing that she knew what she was talking about. And so, mm. um, she just, I was working on the movie full time at that point, and she, whenever she had time, was giving me feedback and helped me help me shoot uh, the scenes with Troy, where he's sitting in his truck reading the book, and then you know any anything with Troy in his truck was filmed later. And Derek helped me write and produce those, and uh, I started started writing notes August first, two thousand eight, and by June or July. 2010 we had a completed version of the film that we were taking to churches just cold calling pastors and saying hey we're local filmmakers would you be interested in giving us feedback on this no budget christian film we're making so it's less than less than two years from my first notes until we were screening it and that's the one we were showing around and pastors were saying hey this is pretty good you want to show this at my church and derica and i were like wait what we were just, we're just getting, trying to get feedback on our homemade movie. You know, we'd go in with this whole list of apologies and, and disclaimers. Okay. It says no budget. No one in here is a professional actor. All the audio is bad. It's just in-camera audio. The camera's old, you know, give them the full list. Okay. Okay. And they'd watch it at the end. They go, you know, I don't think you have to give all those disclaimers. It seemed fine to me. You want to show some of my church? And we're like, wait, what? Really? Hmm. And uh, time and time again, people would say, yeah, you don't have to, it seemed, I didn't notice any of the stuff you were talking about. And we realized the average uh, viewer isn't doesn't know to even consider the audio, what microphone you use, and all that stuff. They're just mm -hmm. wondering if the story's good. Yeah. And so, but the film, the other filmmakers would be like, 
oh man, I can barely watch this thing. What'd you film this on? They're like, oh, your audio, I, can, I can't even listen to it. What'd you do it's in camera? What were you thinking? You know? So we realized, oh yeah, yeah. When you get it to your actual audience, that's who matters. But uh, so we said, well, if our audience, our feedback audience likes it, if we could just fix a few things, maybe some of our film, film people would uh, tolerate a little more too. So we started spending extra time on trying to figure out ways to sweeten it up visually. And we found out about a software called Audacity that cleans up audio, which did a, mm-hmm. did a pretty good job. The reason I had filmed on this low-grade camera to begin with was at the time I was going to film Book of Linus as a short film just to show a church what, what my skill set is, just so they'll know who I am, so I can be part of this club. And so I borrowed... I borrowed a camera from a buddy that I could afford to replace if something happened to it, just this old camcorder. Mm. And that's why so that was the it? camera. What was the camcorder? Uh, some, some Canon tourist camera, just okay. like a low grade camera. I want to pause the interview for a moment to summarize a situation that threatened to derail the film's distribution potential. As more people saw the film and wanted it shown in their churches, Nathaniel wanted to make sure it was distribution ready, and that would mean gathering signed release forms from the cast. One of the actors suddenly saw dollar signs and wanted payment. Nathaniel offered the actor more than the SAG rate, the Screen Actors Guild, for a low-budget movie like his. The offer was refused, and the actor asked to participate in the back-end profits. What percentage did they have in mind? Well, the actor wanted to wait and see how much money it made, and then they would agree on a percentage. Well, Nathaniel refused that, and so the actor asked to be removed from the film. So Nathaniel recast the role and reshot the scenes. Only after talking to an entertainment lawyer did Nathaniel learn that the actor had no legal grounds to demand removal from the film. Nathaniel edited his revised version of the film, And though he and the actor eventually reconciled, the momentum he had with the growing number of screenings ground to a halt. This is an important lesson for filmmakers. We need to know our rights as filmmakers, and we need to have access to legal counsel for if and when these kinds of problems arise. And they often do. Now, Nathaniel wanted me to emphasize in this section that he doesn't blame anybody for the problems that he faced. He blames his own ignorance and lack of planning that opened the door to these bigger problems that his film experienced. And there's one thing he wishes he would have been able to do if he could do this all over again, and that is to have a filmmaking mentor from day one. And I think that's a very wise thing to want. Any of us who have ever made a film know how difficult it is to tackle one of these beasts. And I think it's wise for any young or inexperienced filmmaker to find a mentor. Now, back to our interview. So I had filmed on an old camera to begin with. And now all these years later, DSLRs are out. That's the big cool look. And mm-hmm. everything is so far advanced that, and now I'm trying to piece this movie back together. And is anyone even going to care? Everything, when I was first showing it years ago, there was nothing to compare it to. And now so many other Christian films had come out. God's Not Dead had come out. That was a big deal. Uh, camera, everyone's camera was sharper. YouTube was a, a bigger deal. More people were making stuff in general. And I had this old dilapidated uh, film. So I got very discouraged, yep. finished it. Finally, start showing around to friends and family. A lot of who were like, oh, you're still working on that? Oh, yeah, it's, it's good. The new actress is great. Yeah, good. But there was no enthusiasm from my immediate uh, circle of family and friends. Mm, yeah. And uh, so it just kind of sat on the computer doing nothing. And I've tried to spark up, you know, we started going to a different church up here closer to our house and the pastor is in a film. And so, Oh, I have to make a film one time. I showed it to him and he stirred up a little enthusiasm and a couple of people at the church. And so I thought, well, maybe I should, uh, maybe I should try and get the, get the juices flowing again. And I discovered your podcast and of course hearing other other Christian filmmakers and making low budget films and the struggles that those guys who made the Jesus, uh, Jesus in the desert yeah. for 40 days film had to recast and everything. And, and uh, I think, as I told you, my uncle randomly said uh, to get, you know, to get someone's attention, write them a handwritten letter on yellow paper. And I thought, 
okay, I'll t- and that's a worthy experiment. Who do I know that I would write to? And I'd been listening to your podcast and I thought, well, I got this movie I want to do something with and Todd Schaefer is a Christian movie guy. I'll write him a letter and see what happens. And now here we are. <laughs> yeah. Total, total length of time it took you from finish, start to finish. How many years was that? Oh man, what is it? 2022 now. So uh, the cut you saw was finished shortly before you saw it. And that was a year ago. So on and off from 2008 to 2021. Wow. So let me ask you this question. Here's the tough one. Is it finished? (laughs) (laughs) Todd. Yeah. You know, Alex Ferrari, obviously you had him on your show. Okay. I heard, I heard an episode of his show recently where he's talking to a guy who had a documentary that he had cut into multiple different lengths for different venues. Right. Yeah. And uh, I thought, Hey, why not? Why not do that with book of Wendy? So technically book of Wendy is never finished. Yeah. yeah. I can, uh, I I'm conceiving of a, a version that is closer to the original 20 minute version that focuses kind of entirely on Dan and only takes place in one night. And then the next day is the final scene. Uh, but it is, to, to give you just a straight up answer, yeah, sure, it's finished. It's you can hit play and you can watch it. There is a finished version of it out there. And if mm-hmm. if uh, my computer broke, God forbid, uh, and I was never able to change one ever other thing, yeah, it's finished. Mm-hmm. I mean, your whole family sat through it, right? Which just yep. still amazes me. Yeah, yeah. So no, we we enjoyed it. Um, so what are your plans for the release of this? Is it, is it released? Is there a place where anybody can watch it? You can go to Vimeo, search The Book of Wendy, and okay. uh, it should come up. And that's, Todd, I, it feels, you know, when I first made it, I was, I was gung-ho. Film was everything. That was my whole, whole plan. Mm-hmm. But after the years of discouragement and the um, just having so many other things, it took my, you know, being married, having a yeah. full-time job, having other ministry things and uh, social things, you know, there's minimal time to even think about movie stuff uh, now. And in the deflation of my enthusiasm, which I've been trying to build up, I, you know, listening to podcasts such as yours and um, working on, I've worked on some other buddies projects. And when I'm on set, it's like the enthusiasm flares right up i go this is great okay man i'm back and then as soon as i'm off the set it's like there's no it's like my my film maker battery uh is broken when i'm plugged in i'm enthusiastic but my battery to hang on to that enthusiasm mm-hmm. just just drains right down mm-hmm. um so i feel like i've inherited this movie kind of inherited from a previous version of myself and i don't have the same like <laughs> That's a good way to look at it. Yeah, yeah. thanks. Uh, and so I I just have this film and I have, uh, I guess, a responsibility to it, but I don't have the uh, community of like of buddies. I'm, I like working with a team, you know, so that yeah. at the end of a hard day, you have someone to turn to and high five and go, uh, we did it. Like we over, we figured it out, high five. And, uh, you know, when there's no one there to do that with, it's kind of like, well, uh, that's that's the majority of the fun I realized also when I moved away from all my family and friends and, and wasn't doing film stuff anymore. I go, well, what's going on? What's mm. what's missing from the equation that used to jazz me up? And I realized, well, I loved hanging out with my family and friends and us all sitting around and watching the footage afterward or hearing the feedback from my family and friends. It was like a communal thing putting something online and seeing some thumbs up or some hearts with a number by it it's, it's like what, what is that hmm. you mean anything so yeah without the without the community of people to sit with and go look what we did uh, it's yeah. like what's the what's the payoff so that's kind of the that's kind of the, the place i'm at okay all right so you have no aspirations to make films in the future I wouldn't say that. See, that's the, I, (laughs) 
the bug has bit. <laughs> yes, no, the bug's bit. It goes back to that battery thing. Yeah, your phone. Course. Your phone has yeah. the uh, has the apps and all the potential, but if you unplug it from the wall, yeah. the battery goes out. It's like no, I, I can I'm, understand. Yeah. So so yeah. It's a, it's. I mean, this is this is really it is an ordeal that you went through to get this film done with a lot of really uh, troubling drama that would discourage any filmmaker. And, you know, I think I think there's a there's there is a certain nature to making a a film. Where when you finish with it, you think, oh, this is the worst thing ever. I don't ever want to do this again. So I think there's a lot of that just in general with filmmakers. We struggle um to to maintain enthusiasm after we're spent and um you know i work with some of the larger studios with and and work under some directors and they're always running off and needing a break here and there and you know just to get time off to to recharge their batteries in middle of production and then a big big a big recharge after the production is finished so it is very draining i mean it's not just it's not just the the drama that you're dealing with. It's just f- making a film and being in charge of it. And you were just more than the director. You were the writer. You were the production manager. You were the cameraman. You were dealing with the audio. Do- and you were doing everything on the show, including acting in it. Um, so that would drain anybody. The nature of film is that it's dr- a draining creative process, even though you've got a lot of people there. But, you know, they, they're all needing something from you and you're bearing the weight on your shoulders sometimes alone especially as a director of the success of the completion of the film as well as you know its release and how it is welcomed or not welcomed by the audience so that's just the nature of filmmaking so you, you know there's part of what you're feeling um that is normal uh, but you just had it in a slow motion process. And, and unfortunately, it converged with your family life, your home life, your extended families, relationships. And that that's that adds another extra burden. But, you know, it's a really inspiring story to see where you started and how this developed and that you were able to complete this film in spite of the insurmountable problems and the technological problems and the, you know the years upon years of waiting and just trying to piece i mean i think to me it is fascinating that you had your friends together and your family and you know hey that guy's going to be here on the ranch so let's what what shots can i shoot with him or i got these people here what shots do i shoot with all of them in it to me that is that is just marvelous i mean that makes me smile so big when i hear of that kind of creative problem solving that you were going through to get this film uh, completed. You were, you were really thinking through all, those, all of those dimensions of film production and to be able to put it together so it had a coherence where you would have a scene that was shot with other, other sequences within that same scene years apart. <laughs> Uh, yeah. that, that is just to me that 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 kind of thing just makes me smile so big and um uh I, I i commend you for that i mean it takes a special kind of person to be able to tackle a project like that and basically bleed what you can bleed out of the the limited resources that you have to get something put together in a coherent manner so uh my hat's off to you i think i think you've done an it's an amazing feat what you've accomplished um and it would be it would be sad for me to think that you never made it would never make another film and i hope that that bug that's still in there gets a battery recharge and you decide to go do something else so and i hope book of wendy gets gets some more visibility um and um Heck, as uh, as we were talking about the Nigerian film industry um, earlier, maybe maybe you could <laughs> approach somebody in Nigeria <laughs> if worse comes to worse. I don't know. Um, yeah, maybe, 
but I think it does. I think it deserves visibility. I mean, I, like you said, I mean, you had all those churches where the pastors would look at this and go, well, can you show this to my church? And it was in a rough cut and not even completed. So, I mean, I think it shows that this, that the film itself has some legs and, um, you know, just the fact that it's lower resolution and there's some audio issues and some technical things, those things are, I mean, when you watch a film, and, I, and I've been thinking a lot about this, when you watch a film, there's a lot of things that can be grading upon you. And yes, you know, technological things can be, but you can overlook those, especially if the story and characters are interesting. And I find I am more ejected from a film that doesn't have a soul, it doesn't have a heart or a unique voice, where it's just formula and they're just following all of the Hollywood standards. They're hitting all the marks. They're following all the little, you know, story points that you're supposed to hit from all the books and all the teaching gurus on story. Those kinds of things just grade on me and makes it difficult for me to watch anything uh, in, in modern, modern filmmaking today. It's very hard for me to find a film I can sit down and sit through, even with all yeah. the great production value. But, you know, as you said, as I said, me and my family, we sat down and we watched this thing from beginning to end because there was something unique about the story that you had to tell. And it took us to a place that, you know, we weren't expecting. And that's what's really cool. I mean, so many of Hollywood films today, um, you know what's going to happen. You've seen this kind of story before. You know something's <laughs> going to happen and you can almost put together the pieces before the film unfolds and gets there but with yours you couldn't and it, it like i said it brought it brought us into contact with characters who we thought were interesting in a place that was interesting in a situation that was really interesting and you know looking back if i was to watch it today i think i would enjoy it even more because it feels like it's a little more current to what might be in our future um mm -hmm. So with the apocalyptic angle there that you had with the, you know, the, the embedded, um, uh, the marks and that sort of thing. But um, <clears throat> so I think you've, you've done a really amazing feat. I wouldn't look down upon it for any of its deficiencies. Uh, every film's got deficiencies. Um, Hollywood films have deficiencies. Uh, so, um, I mean, I think, I think, the the kingdom needs filmmakers like you to be making films for the kingdom with whatever resources we have available and you know we get on that treadmill the next we get this film done then we jump on the next one the next one's going to be better we'll fix all the problems that we learned and lessons we learned on the on the previous film we'll make the next one even better and so that's it's sort of a stair step you have to look at your your film, your body of work is a stair step from achievable uh, within your limitations and slowly grow as things develop. And, you know, I, I think another thing that really inspires me about you is that you just had this uh, can do spirit, right? You just got out there and did stuff, even though you knew that there were certain standards and whatever you, you weren't, you weren't being crippled by a sense of perfectionism that cripples so many filmmakers today i think because we have right. this standard and so we don't do this we won't go to the next stage we won't try and and be bold in our work because you have to have a sense of you know what i could fail but you but if i'm going to fail i'm going to fail big and I'm going to learn from that. I'm going to get up off the ground and I'm going to do the next thing. And if I fail again, I'm going to fail again. But eventually you're going to have that success. You're going to have that one where you finish. And I think we have to have that sense that you're going to fail and it's okay to fail, especially with something as big as a film. And yeah. if you don't have that, you're just not going to do anything. You're too timid, creatively timid to step out and try something because you're afraid you're going to fail. And guess what? You're never going to go anywhere because you're never going Absolutely. to get to the, you're never going to get to the place where you think I can take this on. I can handle this. And um, so that day never comes. And so everybody who's waiting for that day 
it, you know, they'll never get anything done, but you got something done in spite of all the problems. And, um, uh, you know, I admire you for, for that persistence and that boldness to do that. And, um, I mean, we need, we need filmmakers like you in the Christian film industry, making films that are unapologetic and that are working within the limitations, being creative to think of ways to do things with our limited budgets and limited schedules. And to me, that is the perfect skill set for a Christian filmmaker in this day and time. So any Great. film you uh, do next would be better just because you have the experience and be better because, wow, 20 years, technology can change it <laughs> a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're telling me. <laughs> so, I, I totally appreciate you saying all that stuff. I agree with it. I don't, I don't look down on Bookway. I look at it fondly. Nathaniel, thanks so much for being on the podcast. This has been this has been thrilling. Cool. Yeah. Thank thank you for having me. It has been thrilling. I appreciate all the encouragement. You can watch the Book of Wendy on Vimeo, and right now there's no charge for it. You'll find the link in the show notes of this episode at ministryofmotionpictures.org. And if you watch the film, I'd like for you to do something for me and for Nate. Go to the Ministry of Motion Pictures Facebook page. And under the post for this episode, I'd like for you to let me know what you think of this film in the comments. Yes, it has an old camcorder image and the audio quality is so-so. Aside from that, what do you think about the film? I'd love to hear from you and I'm sure Nate would too. The Facebook page is facebook.com forward slash Ministry of Motion Pictures. It's that simple. And I'll leave a link for that in the post for this podcast. In our next few episodes, we're going to be talking about story. Story is one of the reasons so many Christian films fail to find an audience. I've lined up a number of guests to help us think about story and screenwriting. Literature professor Dr. Karen Swallow Pryor has a very particular interest in Christian films as story. And she's going to be with us to talk about her book, Reading Well, which is a marvelous book on story that should be on every Christian writer's reading list. And celebrity professor Richard Walter will be with us to talk about story and screenwriting. Professor Walter headed the famed UCLA screenwriting program for decades, which has produced more working screenwriters than any other program in the world. You don't want to miss this. Our time together draws to a close, valiant filmmaker. We trust your heart has been warmed and your soul nourished. Your host has been Todd Schaefer, creative director of the faith-based independent production house Glorious Films and animation director at Tonic DNA, where he toils on productions for the major Hollywood establishment. If you wish to support the work of the ministry or simply buy your overworked host a fancy $5 coffee to keep him warm and caffeinated as he pecks out his next script, you can do so on our website at ministryofmotionpictures.org. Again, that's ministryofmotionpictures.org. And you can help spread the word by feeding the algorithms when you share, like, link, follow, subscribe, or leave a nasty comment on our social media. Until we see you again, I adjure you, in the name of our Lord, go forth and boldly create films. What we do in life echoes in eternity.